Before I begin this morning, I need to um, put out a warning. Of all days, Sunday morning, my upper bridge broke. So it's been epoxied. I taped over the epoxy so I didn't have to taste that. And I uh, have a lot of uh, polygrip up there. In fact, my front lip is sticking to my uh, teeth. And if it comes undone, I'm down, and Pastor Kern will come up and finish. Because <laughs> there's no way that I'll be able to talk if it uh, comes undone. <laughs> I don't know how people that take themselves seriously get through life. <laughs> the Lord gives us a life of freedom and tells us that we're not perfect. And when we accept that, uh, what a joy it is. Um, really grateful for Pastor Green to be here. Always have appreciated his ministry. Uh, I was thinking this morning, he's been so long at camp that probably some of your first students have probably got grandkids by now. I am surprised. I wonder if he dyes his hair, though. It should be completely gray by now. <laughs> but anyway, thank you again, Dave, for your work, and what a blessing. So we're in... Uh, Romans 13 this morning, and uh, verse 7 and 8, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. We've seen in chapter 13 that the authorities that exist are appointed by God and they are God's minister to you, to us, for good. In our passage this morning, we're going to look at the truth of this and the motivation to carry it out. When we lived in Wittenberg, I passed, and I pastored there, um, the county decided to adopt state zoning codes and building laws and inspections. And it put the terror that we've seen earlier in our chapter uh, into the hearts of the people there. Seemed like everybody I talked to were, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? Up until that point, um, again, being a basically rural area, they, when you needed to fix something on your house or build one, you just did it without the government's permission. But uh, at the time, I had a lot of carpentry experience, and we needed a little bigger house. We had a lot of guests at times, and uh, I ended up being the first person to build a state-sanctified home, if you will, in our county. I didn't like the idea if I have to go through zoning and building inspections, but I knew some things going into my project. I knew that the requirements were there for the benefit of the owners, as well as the future owners. Uh, and I've had experience in that area. I worked in a subdivision in Florida way back in the 70s. and. Uh, they did, the material was so shoddy that a roof actually fell in while we were still out there 
building. I mean, a finished house, and it fell in. And folks, I don't know if you know, but there are no snow load codes in Florida, and it didn't, wasn't snow, it just caved in because of this material was so bad. The house we're living in now, a bank that was built in 1901, uh, its floors had 20 feet uh, joists in them, and they were sagging about three inches in the middle because uh, that was a little bit much for uh, too big a span for the beams. Uh, built good other than that. Uh, I took care of that already. But I also knew the primary reason for the rules was concern for safety. For safety. Um, just like in the house it fell in. <laughs> I'd like to be up there roofing that. Uh, and I knew the inspectors didn't make the rules. They were there to see that they weren't broken, that they were followed, that the house would be good and solid when uh, it was finished. And I also know, knew that few people, other than probably tax assessors, uh, experienced most, more hostility from the public than building inspectors. They get treated awfully. And they didn't make the laws. They just see that they're carried out. So as I began my building inspector come out, I uh, met him, Mr. Anderson, a retired ca uh, carpenter. And uh, I told him that I knew these things. And it put us in a good relationship from the very beginner. You see, as we see in our passage, I honored him. As time went on, I met uh, Bernie Rooney at uh, camp and he had some work he wanted me to do on his cottage up in northern Wisconsin. So I did that, and then he said he wanted some work for me to do in his home in Milwaukee, which I said I would never do. Milwaukee has stricter codes than our state codes, but he had some things that didn't need a permit, so I said, okay, and I got those done, and, and then his son lived near there, and he wanted some work done and the roof, which didn't need permits. And I said, okay, and then the porch needed reworked and it needed permits. And by that time, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. So I told the inspectors the same thing there, and there there were several, and uh, that I wanted, I wasn't here by choice. <laughs> well, I guess I was, but I didn't want to be here. Uh, but I want to build this, I want to do this your way. And the first thing, man came out to check things out, and he was a by-the-book guy, and he looked at this home that was at least 70 years old, a very solid construction, and there's big brick columns holding the roof of the porch up. You all have seen them. And he says, dig those up. They've got to be, I think it's 42 inches in the ground. Dig them up. After 70 years, they hadn't moved. Dig them up. I didn't say anything. I dug them up. They weren't deep enough. So I called for another inspection. man came out, and he looked in the hole, and he looked at me, and he said, fill them in. <laughs> and, of course, I had to ask him. I said, well, uh, no offense or anything, but who are you? I didn't want him to be a younger guy and the other guy come back and tell me to dig them up again. But uh, he said, I'm the boss. So uh, good enough, I filled them back up. <laughs> uh, I had to uh, get permits for our building at uh, Northern Grace, our men, uh, Encouraging Men project, 
and that usually takes more time than it would have took to build the uh, building, uh, back and forth and this and that and whatever. And uh, this year may have more permits to get, and I appreciate your prayers on this. But not thinking about it, of course, I followed through on all the things verse 7 calls us to. And it calls us to give what's due, render to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. To be imitators of our Father, we need to render, to give as due to all their dues. We need to discharge our obligation to all men. Taxes, we all know what they are, are they at which are levied on persons and property. Um, custom refers to the tax levied on goods and corresponds to the tax paid on goods and corresponds to the tax paid on those things we import or export. Fear is the same word that is rendered terror in verse 3. This word means concern and reverence. Fear of punishment for breaking the laws and those responsible for enforcing the laws, we are to have that fear of doing wrong in this area and the punishment that we'll get for doing wrong and those enforce the law. The real difficult part at times is respecting the laws of the state as well as those who make the laws. Honor means that it is not right for a Christian to speak in a disrespectful way of the state or officers of the state. I won't ask for hands on anybody that doesn't have problems with this one. When we honor them, we honor the Lord Jesus and our Father. This is always what we need to think about, isn't it? This is always what we need to keep in our mind. We honor, when we honor uh, those in power, we honor the Lord Jesus and our Father. Our founding fathers knew this. Any of you that have written to a congressman that looked up, well, how do you do that? We know that we address on the envelope the honorable and then his name. The honorable and then his name. Our founding fathers knew the Bible. They knew this was their due, and um, this is what uh, has carried on through that. Um, I know this because I wrote my assemblyman this uh, last week to encourage him and uh, had to look it up. <laughs> now, how do I do this? But Paul says, love one another, verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Oh, no one. Ever notice how God seems to leave out any gray areas? <laughs> no exceptions here. He says, oh, no one. Oh, no one. And I don't think Paul, as he's going on into verse 8, is changing this subject. It's still in the context here. Loving thinking beyond ourselves keeps us from owing anyone anything, including the relational realm. God doesn't, in fact, he usually seldom puts anything in just in monetary sense, and he didn't up until verse 7, and he certainly isn't here. 
Loving, thinking about beyond ourselves, keeps us from owning, owing anyone anything, including the relational realm where both fear and honor are involved. All right, the seven dwarfs in Snow White seem to have a good handle on this, as each morning they went off singing, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, or something to that effect. Every year we owe taxes to the government, and we are called to pay them. You also pay taxes, Scripture says, where they are God's ministers. Again, how much renewing of our mind do we have to do here? <laughs> there seems to be no end of it, does there? Things that are impossible for us. I don't like doing taxes. When I was pastoring in Wittenberg and working carpentry, that means a lot of different stuff, uh, a lot of the headache, a lot of uh, accumulating of stuff. And uh, still they get, this past year was a mess. Uh, my uh, very capable accountant uh, charged me double this year, and I thought it was more than worth it. Uh, but when I, when I started getting this man, um, I really got to appreciate him, a man of integrity, and a little while ago, I was thinking through this, and I thought, why am I stewing over these things I don't understand? Stuff them in the envelope, and Glenn will call me <laughs> if he has a problem and ask me some questions that I can answer, and then we go on. And what a relief that was. <laughs> so, and then I get to vote for who I believe will best spend my tax money, and let it go, let it go. What peace and freedom are ours when we do our Father's will? That's the end result, regardless if we think God's right in what he tells us or not. Peace and joy, and they're all ours. The Apostle Paul, formerly the Pharisee of hate, certainly refers to God's love a lot. I think if we... Uh, really took to heart the words of the Apostle Paul, that would have to be about every third or fourth sermon would have to be on love. I believe he used the word for agape love, God's unconditional love, at least 50 times, if not more. So right after telling us to pay our taxes and respecting people we may not like, Paul throws in the word, throws the word love in the mix. And if that isn't bad enough, he brings up the law and how all is summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Another thing impossible uh, most of the time without the love of Christ in our lives. We need to have a reminder here, the opposite of love is not hate, but pride. Pride is always inward. Pride always points at me, myself, and I while love is outward focused, outward focused. My needs are met by Jesus Christ. Therefore, what can I do? How can I show the love of Christ to others? Pride says, who is he to tell me to pay taxes and honor people I don't like? Our log camp ministry, Men Encouraging Men's foundational passage of scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Verse 13 reads, Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. 
God calls his men to be strong, faithful men, men who believe and live out the truth of God's word. But we dare not let this verse stand alone. Number one, it scares women. <laughs> it scares the ladies. They get the image of a Neanderthal uh, dragging around his life, uh, her dragging around his wife by the head of her hair that's been pictured so often. And we think that's kind of funny in some ways, kind of silly, but we've talked about before, I believe, that a group of grace pastors in Africa uh, took a vote one day and they decided that it was okay to beat your wife at least once a day. True story. You beat your wife at least once a day. See why these things need to be in the Bible? <laughs> Now, obviously, these guys hadn't renewed their mind in a lot of areas of Scripture uh, yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, so there, there is that fear. And it's legitimate often because of ungodly men that have done so much harm uh, to men and women alike. It's interesting that in a liberal media this week, it was stated that physical fitness has always been central to the far right. In Mein Kampf, Hitler fixated on boxing and jiu-jitsu. The in in intersection of extremism and fitness leans into a shared obsession with the male body, training masculinity, testosterone, strength, and competition. Come into an online fitness chat room and you'll see sites that lure young men into fascism. That come out this week. And of course, this is simply anti-God propaganda. Everything that has to do with God is denigrated down to nothingness uh, in our society by so many. Biden, President Biden's pick for the Supreme Court justice refused this week to define woman. To define woman. It would have been interesting if um, the question would have been asked, President Biden pick, needed, wanted to pick a black woman for the justice. How did he know he got the right pick? If <laughs> you can't even define woman, how do you know you fit in there? You know, it just gets goofy. And, and again, we always want to think this is anti-God. It's denigrating him. And I read... I had uh, Genesis 1, chapter 1, read this morning because as believers, we need to go back there from time to time. It is when the church embraced Darwinism and watered down the word until Genesis chapters 1 through 11 meant nothing that all this stuff can snowball. You take away Genesis chapter 11, and everything that's around us, everything that's anti-God is normal. Christians took God out of the Bible, but took the truth out of the Bible, and this is going to be the result. It always will be the right. That always will be the result. God made clear in the beginning that he made two genders. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. 
male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Then God said everything he had made, and it was indeed, it was very good. God said that. God is good. The Lord Jesus Christ said only God is good, and that's all that he can create. That's all that he can do. God is what it is. God has what it is to be the motivator of strong, godly men in the context of 1 Corinthians 16, 13, which apply here as well. Verse 14 tells us, let all that you do be done with love. That is what a Christian man is called to. Be strong, be godly, but everything you do, let it be done in love. In love, you don't beat your wife ever. <laughs> and uh, uh, everything we're to do is to be done in love. Another of our uh, Mem's verses is found in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is our goal at Men Encouraging Men, to see that we increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And, of course, women is included in that. It's very important. You know, it's very important. And it's very important to look at these things. It's very important to talk about these things. Because, again, as we look at all the things that are destroying our society, destroying people, causing so much harm, is simply because people have thrown out, and even churches have thrown out, so-called churches, the truth of God's word. We are to give when nothing is due. Verse 8 tells us that we are to pay more than what, what is due. The essence of love is that it gives where nothing is due. To give in order to receive is not ultimately satisfying. I give it to you, then you give back. What is that? The mind's always, what am I going to get back? Charity, we find in the King James, is a good translation of God's love. We all know what charity means. For it means giving without expecting anything in return. Giving to people that don't have anything to give uh, back. So we're to pay our taxes without expectation of all our desires for good government to be made. We do it anyway because God said they're his ministers, and that's what we're to do. Commentator writes, the world is balancing what it gets with what it receives and trying to get a little more than it gives. The Christian is to look for what he can give and not for what he can get. Luke 12, or excuse me, Luke 14, 12 through 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they all invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And now look at the results, verses 14, and you will be blessed. <laughs> and you will be blessed. Now, this is just the Lord Jesus that said this. And the reason why, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Might come up here as capitalism biblical. <clears throat> that shalt not, thou shalt not steal could only be a law if people own things. The story of Ananias and Sapphira in, early in Acts um, owned property and sold it, and then we see them 
dying because of what they said to Peter and the other disciples. Why did they die? They died not because they kept part of the money, but because about keeping part of the money. The Lord wouldn't have cared if they took the money and went on vacation. But be honest about it. Don't tell me you give it all to uh, us when you did it. They were punished for hypocrisy, something too many Christians believe is a virtue, I'm afraid. Our Lord gave the parable of a capitalist who had great gain, and he gave ten talents to one man, five to another, and um, one to another, and uh, talked about gaining interest, and uh, the Bible's not against it. A landlord owns and rents a house, and the tenant owes rent. The owner invests, and the rent is his interest. Likewise, loans for investments in which one owes interest. But I believe the principle here, and this is me, uh, I believe the principle here is paying what is owed. I have bills due every month. The principle here, I believe, is paying what's due. It's, I believe it's why I hate missing paying a bill on time. Uh, I just don't like that. I just, it just goes against me. And uh, I learned a lot about this early. I was at the church in Wittenberg in uh, January, February, and the income wasn't there. The church paid me what it could, and I was getting behind on the bills, and I didn't like that. And I give the Lord all kinds of examples of men and women that had been in dire straits. And a uh, check came in the mail, things like that, you know. Money came from surprising ways. And uh, <laughs> finally, the Lord got through to me the message he wanted me to learn. He said, uh, he called me Dan. Dan, what did you... Uh, what did you do with all that money you made last summer? <laughs> I also have a principle of putting a little aside for tight times, and you didn't do it. So after I learned that, then the money came in, and I was able to pay my bills. And uh, have ever since, I think. Barring, on the other hand, is a matter of good stewardship, and our Lord works with us individually on that, I believe. And this brings to the question, why debt? Again, a commentator, most ministers are consulted about financial problems. My people have gotten into debt and can't pay their rent or loan payments, etc., and believe God let them down. But no, no, Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God has not failed them, but somewhere along the way they have failed to seek his will failed to listen to him, and bought something they couldn't afford, chose to live beyond their means. You see, we can obey God in this area, just like in every area, because our Father has promised to take care of us. The Lord made promises to his people, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Unless there are some that think he favors the kingdom saints over us, Paul writes in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
and even more precious, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All our needs. See, again, no gray area. He will. And just like the winter that I couldn't pay my bills, what was my need? I, God needed to teach me a lesson that I needed to learn. Put some money aside, especially when you're unemployed. For when you're unemployed, excuse me. Pay as you go. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses has been a, a big problem with a lot of people. Uh, I've, they've got that, uh, hey, honey, do you see the neighbor Paul's got a brand new boat and motor? Boy, I think we ought to have one of those too. <laughs> you see an awful lot of boats and motors sitting in yards and don't move very often, don't you? <laughs> The thriftiest way to buy things, of course, is to save and pay for what we want and need. This takes discipline and self-sacrifice, but the result is growth in character and spiritual power. Again, there's benefits from these things. We must budget according to what we earn and trust our Father to supply. When um, Mr. Walgas and I were married... Um, we made the decision not to let our budget go beyond what unemployment would pay, and we never did. When I got unemployed in construction, you do a lot. That's what I was doing those days. Um, our unemployment check paid for everything, including our food. Self-employment was where I got into trouble. <laughs> All this money coming in and not budgeting and uh, putting some in the bank. Another commentator, we are not to owe money, and neither are we to be indebted to anyone for advancement. We are to, not to live by pull. We must not be indebted to any man and pay for his favors by dancing to his tune. All that we are and have, we owe to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's talking about is, is, is borrowing to where if someone controls you, um, in our family classes, I, I bring across to the students in our family classes, if you allow your in-laws to pay for things for you, not normal gifts, but pay for things for you, like maybe a bigger house than you can afford or a car or something like that, guess what? They bought the right to interfere in your life. They bought the right to interfere in your life. And it has caused a lot of trouble. Uh, Take my word for it. I've done a little counseling in this area. I also counsel to singles and newly married people to, or people that I married, never let your wife's income be put in the family budget so that when the babies start to come, she can stay home if that's what you decide for your family to take care of the children. So many have gotten into the place that's what they want to do, and they can't because the wife's income has been in the uh, surprised me. One couple took my advice. I think a lot of them, most of them did, but um, I married them in June, and in March they came to me and uh, told me they were going on a cruise in the, Medi in the Caribbean. I says, oh, yeah? I said, how did that happen? We did what you did, what you told us. We put our money in the bank, <laughs> and we got so much now, we're going to go on a cruise. So 
Uh, I also suggested a house, down payment on a house, what other things, but uh, anyway. <laughs> but an illustration from Genesis, when Lot and the king of Sodom and many people and goods were stolen, and Abraham uh, saved them. Abraham's response after rescuing them and their goods, Genesis 14, 18 to 23. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Verse 21, now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours. Why? Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abraham knew God. Abraham knew God. He knew where his riches came from. He knew what would happen in this. Therefore, he would not compromise by taking the minutest thing from a sodomite king. If he had done so, the sodomite would have claimed part of the glory forever. Interesting, a friend of mine ended up being our grandfather in the faith, uh, had a neighbor, um, couldn't do any work, so he went over there and put a new roof on his house. And he got done, he went to leave. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, Paul, Paul, I got to, wait, wait, I got to pay you something. So he ran back in the house, and he come out, and he gave my friend Paul $5. $5. Now, you know what that gave, and Paul was so disgusted, he didn't want anything to begin with. He was doing it out of the love of the Lord. But you know what would happen from that, uh, that point on? That man would have said, oh, I helped Paul. I gave to him for what he did. He would have took part of the glory. And we never want to take part of the glory away from our Lord. Uh, he's the one that provides. If this world can claim part of the success of a child of God, the sting is taken from his witness. If all glory is given to God and the world cannot take any part of it, the believer becomes, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, as unknown and yet well-known, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Here's an area of uh, we get short-sighted living in this world, but... Uh, we are rich beyond anything we can even imagine, especially in heart things. Uh, but what we will receive in heaven is so beyond our imagination that God doesn't tell us much about it now. And uh, so, yeah, we have a big God. When we propose to owe no man anything but to love him, we are thrown back to God. Abraham strengthened his own faith by announcing that all blessings were from God. Ezra took the same stand, and he too was forced to lean on God. Ezra 8.22, For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen 
to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Ezra believed God. I was ashamed to request that. Excuse me. So now into this pagan world comes Jesus Christ bringing divine love. Christ's love was something new to the world. Again, from a commentator, Jesus Christ brought true love into the world. This is not astonishing, for Jesus Christ is God, and God is love. It cannot be said that there was love in the world before the time of Christ in the sense we know love today. There was affection between man and wife, although most marriages were made by the fathers, and the role of the girl was to obey and submit. There were rare examples, but there were rare examples, but in the ancient world, true philanthropy and neighborliness were unknown. Gibbon declared that one half of the population of the Roman Empire lived in slavery, and later writers considered this figure too conservative. They believed that during the reign of Emperor Tiberius Claudius, there were three slaves for every free man, and more than 20 million slaves, most of them white men, lived in Italy. We know that we were enemies without hope, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. By nature, children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Our minds at enemy with God, Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Christ alone could break the power of self. What a, what a beautiful, wonderful, awesome truth. So he not only reconciled us to himself, but to one another. When we truly know God, we love one another. When we truly know God, we love one another. The natural movement of the natural man, again, is toward himself. The supernatural movement of the person filled with God's love is outward towards others. As Christ taught in the story of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor is any member of the human race. It's interesting, and that's true, and that's what we're to be about, but the emphasis is within the church. You, as we read Paul's writings, we, know, we see that the emphasis is about loving one another, writing to Christians. We manifest his love within the church. This is where we practice. This is where we grow. Uh, this is where we become mature. There's some really funny people come into church, some people that we don't care much about, and uh, God says, well, what have I told you about that? 
think more of them than you do of you. Excuse me. God knows that when this is a reality, there will be no difficulty for us to extend his love to all members of the human race. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference, literally outdoing one another. When we are filled with to the fullness of his love, that love will radiate to all members of the race, especially to those who are in the body of Christ. The key word in determining what the believer's relationship should be to, another, to other citizens of the state is love. Love enables us to perfectly fulfill all our obligations, whether to the state, to the citizens, or to God. More than anyone, Christians ought to pay their debts and honor their obligations, whether to the state, to the citizens, or to God. To be increasingly in debt is to show a lack of regard and love for the one to whom you are indebted. We do not want to miss the way that God blesses when we imitate him, which we are called to. I started this talking about building inspectors, inspections and inspectors. Mr. Anderson in that house I built in Wittenberg, he would come by one day. He came by and I said, I don't have an inspection today. And he says, "Uh, oh, I just come back for a few laughs. And of course... Those of you that know me, I come back with him. You come to laugh at my work? <laughs> and he backed up because he didn't know me that well. But uh, I said, I'm kidding. I, I appreciate that. He taught me things. He did things that wasn't in his MOS, if you will, uh, job description. And he became a friend. And even called me afterwards just to talk. And the last time that he came to inspect, give me my final inspection, he said, you built this house better than code. And I told him, I said, well, Mr. Anderson, I said, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, normal for a, a builder to give the inspector a, a fifth of scotch for overlooking some of the things that uh, he may not have done just right. But in lieu of that, I'd like to give you this uh, classic Christianity. I give him a book. <laughs> and of course, I, I love the look on his face when I said that. It, that is not what he expected, a bottle of scotch. And <laughs> I shared something with him that uh, I know he would have read. Uh, the building inspector in, in Milwaukee, the same thing, he helped me you know, and talk to builders, this isn't normal. <laughs> he stopped by one afternoon. He said, I had some time to kill. I just stopped to visit for a while and to talk. The building inspector for our log cabin, he wasn't even going to come out and, and inspect our, our foundation. Uh, he trusted me. And he said, I know you guys are going to do it right. But he had some time, and he came out and uh, gave us extended time because we only worked a week, a a year on it, and usually get two two years. He said, take all the time you wanted, and uh, and, uh, um, I'm not going to give any detail, but no final inspection. He said, I know you guys did what you needed to, and that was it. In none of these instances was what it 
was it anything I was looking for? This is the way God blessed me back for doing what he asked me to do. Mr. Rooney told some friends in front of me one day, Dan just makes friends with the building inspectors. Out of respect for the age, he was an older man. I didn't, but I wanted to lean over and say to him, it's called grace. Mr. Rooney, it's called grace. I didn't make friends with the inspectors. I just did what my father would do. He gave me the wisdom and love to do it. And how different was my experience? Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you again that your ways are not our ways. They're so much better. Father, uh, help us to know you better. Help us to know you in a way that when we look at your word, and most of it is really simple of what your will is for our lives, Father, that we can believe it, and Father, we can do your will willingly because of your love for us. Thank you for our time together, Father. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the way you bless us. We pray for all those here and those that couldn't be uh, today, Father, and those that have needs Again, Father, the God that will supply all our needs and how we praise you for that. We pray now in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.